That was absolutely awesome. <clears throat> Hopefully we don't feedback too much here. Uh, I wanted to start with something really, really important that you guys should know. So some time ago, a couple invited a particular pastor to their home to have dinner. After the pastor left, the wife said to the husband, I think the pastor stole our spoon. This bothered the woman for a whole year. Meanwhile, a year later, the couple invited the pastor again for dinner. Unable to resist, the wife summoned the courage and asked, Pastor, did you steal our spoon last year? Surprised and somewhat uncomfortable, the pastor replied, No, I kept it inside your Bible. <laughs> God's watching. I'm being funny. That's awesome. Uh, can y'all see me? Well, we're just super honored to be here. I think it's fine. It's okay. <clears throat> Super honored to be here. Uh, my name is Landon. This is my beautiful bride, Stacy. And um, first, just wanted to start off by saying thank you to Jeremy. Um, so as Jeremy just mentioned, we have known each other for over 20 years, and we met literally in this room. Literally, he was back at the sound booth. It looked a little bit different back then. Um, we both went to th this church in our in college age years. And what I'd say is just being, you know, we pastor Cedar House Church down the street, so just being friends with him is his conviction, um, and his conviction to do the right thing, even in the face of turmoil, and then also his care for this community um, has been very, very evident to me in the past couple of years, and it's just, I think he's done a tremendous job with all the dynamics uh, at play with 2020 and pastoral transitions and all that stuff. He's done an amazing job. He's a great man of God, really excited to see what God does with him in the future, as well as the board. Um, so y'all have a board here, if you're new or don't know that, <clears throat> you have a governing board over your 501c3, and we have met with him twice, I've met with Troy outside of that one time, and I've known some of them from childhood. And they've been given this beautiful yet very difficult task in this transition as a church to maintain the health of the church and pick new leadership. And so we've been through some things like that, and we have a lot of empathy um, on that process. And so we just really wanted to honor you guys and thank you all um, and let you guys know who don't pay attention to the back end that you guys are in really good hands, and this is a really healthy church. So, yeah, awesome. <clears throat> oh. Does nobody like the front row? I thought that was really funny, all, all worship, no one in the front row. Everybody's just right behind it, right? Yeah, so I, what, yeah, yeah. what we'll do is, uh, just, just really, be really honest, for some reason this, this mic at my church doesn't work in the room, and so I'm always holding a mic, so I have both of my hands, so I don't know what to do with my hands right now, I'm just constantly like... <laughs> So I feel like I can just run. This is fantastic. Um, the sound here is awesome. So yeah, what we'll do for a couple minutes is just kind of introduce ourselves, a little bit about us, a little bit about our history within the context of church, and then we'll teach a little bit about a subject that we feel like God put on our heart, and then we'll close with some ministry time. So you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Stacy. I was born in Seattle and grew up there. Um, my grandpa took me to a Lutheran church most Sundays and then pancakes. I, I mostly remember the offering bucket and my little patent leather purse with all my coins and then pancakes. So that was my introduction to Christianity, and that was pretty much all I really had through my youth up till um, 19. 
And when I turned 19, I left home, I went to college, but before that, the last few years of high school, I was just asking my friends questions like, you know, when we, when we live like this, partying, lifestyle, do you feel like it's wrong? Like, do you feel like you're, you're maybe doing something you shouldn't be doing? And th their answer was always like, what? Like, no, it's fun. Like, it feels good, it's fun. And I was like, okay. Like, I don't know where this thing is coming from inside of me, but I just feel like this is not how we're supposed to do life. Um, I didn't stop partying and living like that until I went to college and I was like, I got a scholarship to LSU and I played soccer. And I thought, I'm just gonna kind of undercover be a Christian maybe, and uh, so I read the Bible and I was like, oh, it was God. That was God in me. That was, that was God telling me how to do life. And so I had a very organic connection with God. It was, um, such, and it has been such a blessing to had just had my foot in the door of church, but not really be churched. So I have a very uh, unique view of church and God as a church leader now that I really treasure. And I, I didn't know that it was so special until I walked through uh, life with people who grew up in the church. And church hurt is really, 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 really real and really painful and really hard. Um, so fast forward from 19, reading the Bible and finding out I had God living inside of me, talking to me, leading me. I played soccer at LSU, and then I met Landon. And we were just friends for a while. We got, we started dating, I think we met at 19, and then we start, we got... Um, I was on a mission the whole time, <laughs> clear, guys. So. Yeah, yeah, we knew each other for a while, which was really nice. And when we, I can't remember if I came, his family came to this church. It looked a lot different then. And I, I don't remember if I came with him around 1920, or if it was later when we were dating around 23, but... I remember the first vision I had with God. I was standing right there where that camera was during worship, and God just gave me this vision, and I turned to Landon after worship, and I was like, I just, like, God just showed me this whole picture. I think it was God. Like, I don't know. No one ever taught me about visions or God doing that, and I was just telling him, like, Dad, I just saw this in my head during worship, and he grew up where that was so normal. So he was just like, yeah, that's cool, you know? Um, I didn't really know what to do with it. I was like, okay, just put that in my pocket. Um, so standing, being in this room, remembering that moment, sitting up here in front of you all is just, is so humbling. It's like, it's crazy. Like, could you imagine 20 years ago having that kind of encounter, and then you're sitting here. So I haven't quite caught up with this moment, but <laughs> that's a really quick view, uh, perspective of just m my journey with God. And um, I think it's important to know that kind of background because Lana and I have such different backgrounds. And um, yeah, and this church, this place is so special to me because I got to come here with Landon's family. I remember a prophetic word Jerry Hart gave me. He said there was a golden ticket over my head, and I remember that, you know? I didn't know what that meant at the time. I just remember, I remember it like it was yesterday, and it was 20 years ago, you know? This church has such, such great roots, and there's so much of the Holy Spirit here and it's very, very, very special. We've gotten to be in a lot of churches over the last 20 years, and 
It is just worshiping with you guys. Um, there's such humility in this place. There's such a, a, a humble spirit in this room, in this body, and that is, that is really, really special. And it really blessed me just to be in your presence the way that you all loved God. So I just wanted to share that part. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, so <clears throat> I kind of made us some bullets here just to get through it uh, within time. So I am born and raised in the vineyard my whole life. My parents, Richard and Tanya, are here. Uh, literally, we probably would have grew up in Texas if it wasn't for this exact church. Uh, I'm 39. I'm not 40 yet. I'm still, I don't know if I'm young or old, depending on who I'm talking to at this age. <laughs> Just a number, that's right. Um, so, yeah, born and raised uh, in this church, in the Vineyard Church, um, my whole life. I was around early, late 80s, early 90s for the John Wimber stuff, of those of you who are familiar with the origins of the Vineyard Church. Um, my parents live about 15, I, I was raised for 20 plus years, I lived in the house, that's about 15 houses that way, and before the Audubon neighborhood right there, the beautiful neighborhood behind the church, you could almost see their house, it's like you can see it through the baseball field at Breck, so literally was born and raised here, um, I was a part of actually the vineyard merging uh, with, there was two different vineyards when we this 25 years, 30 years ago, and I was actually part of those merging when I was about 15 years old, and I remember having those meetings in this room, um, which is just really interesting how all of that is going on. So Pete Kennedy, the founding pastor of this church, is was my pastor uh, basically all my young adult life. Uh, Pete and I are actually still close. We probably meet every other month uh, in a mentor relationship. He couldn't be here today, but he told me he's going to watch at uh, 6 o'clock or whatever at five, whatever time it's available. Um, and then Scott Horn, I don't know if a lot of you guys know Scott Horn, I don't think he's here today, but Scott was also my pastor for the first maybe 10 years of all this. So I went to seminary, uh, Vineyard Leadership Institute, actually in this, uh, it was in the kitchen, that used to be a kitchen over there. And um, so we would practice sermons and go through all that, it was Pete led that as well. Uh, I did that with Paul Brown and Micah Ellis. Uh, there, Paul is actually giving the sermon at Cedar House Church this morning, and Mike is leading worship. Uh, so as you can tell, the roots go deep. And then um, I've led worship in this church, not as good as Jonathan, uh, led youth group, worked at the after-school program. I've seen God move very powerfully in this room. I remember Roger Cunningham. Has he been here in the past couple of years? Yeah, so Roger Cunningham is a guy from uh, Brazil area, would come in and prophesy and teach, and it was just really uh, meant a lot to me. And so although I haven't officially been vineyard in 15 years, this really is home. Uh, the Vineyard Church um, truly is home for us. So I wanted to say this, whether, whether we're here, whether we ever speak here or not again, God has a plan for this church. Uh, he has a plan for this community. He has a plan for Baton Rouge, and all of you play a big part of that. And what we want is God's will over anything. Uh, we don't want to kick against the goads and go in a direction that God doesn't want. And just honoring the pulpit, I mean, from John Wimber to Pete to... Scott Horn, my dad, uh, John Maurer, Jeremy. I mean, it's just, it's just a tremendous uh, opportunity to be here. I told myself whenever I ever give a sermon in the vineyard, if it ever happened, I would say this. Pete would say this almost every Sunday. I remember you actually just said, if you're new here, we ask that you don't give. I learned that from Pete. That was something from a long time ago. And then the second thing he would say is, is there's a stream that runs down the middle of this sanctuary. And he would say, it's, it, there literally is one in the natural, but in the spiritual, Pete would always say that is, you know, living water coming out uh, into doing what God's doing in this room. 
And so it's just amazing to be here with you guys. We're super blessed um, just to be a part of this journey. Mm-hmm. Want to say anything? That was it. I was going to move on. We're done. Yeah, we're done. All right, that's it. We're done with intro. <laughs> Moving on. I'm going to stand. I, do a, I feel a little bit better when I stand. Is that all right? My, my wife is going to sit because she's... I'm a lot bigger than her. We have this issue in our house where she can sit on any little bitty piece of furniture, you know? She weighs like 75 pounds. I'm about 260 right now. So she's like, just sit in this chair. I'm like, it will literally break. I, I need a big... I need space and room and a big armchair and all that. I'm just a large human. Uh, there's just a lot of me um, all the time. So, uh, well, awesome. Okay, we're going to teach for maybe 10, 15 minutes. We'll do some ministry stuff. Uh, so, how many of you are dog lovers? Okay. How many of you are anti-dog? Okay, we got a, an honest man. I love it. How many of you are scared to raise your hand on the second question? (laughs) All right, so uh, my whole life, uh, I was just, I always thought it was so stupid to have a dog. I'm just, I'm being honest, I'm confessing my sins. I would see parents pay attention to the the dog more than the kids, and I just, I'm I'm a prioritized kind of guy, and I'm just like, you're taking your time, money, energy, energy, and resources and putting it into a dog. Like, what are you doing? The dog would need surgery, and people would send it to Houston and spend $2,600. I'm like, have you lost your mind? The dog can't talk. And we always had bad experiences with dogs growing up. We, we actually had a dog bite a kid, two kids. We had some lawsuit. I mean, it just, I'm just like, dogs are the worst thing in the world. Then we moved to downtown Seattle in our 20s for almost five years in the Capitol Hill area, if anyone's familiar with Seattle. And there's three times, this is true, you can Google this, in our area at that time, three times as many dogs as there were children. And again, it just fed into my mind of, these people are crazy, dogs are not this important. So we just, I'm forever thinking we should never get a dog. Well, we love each other a lot, and we had four kids. Uh, So we have four daughters, they're 11, eight, six, and four. Uh, They're not here this morning, but so, you can pray. We're really here for prayer from you. <laughs> and I, I tell everybody, uh, I live with five women in the house. I haven't had sleep or an opinion in 11 years. So <laughs> pray for my soul. Uh, so that's why I like watching UFC and football. I got to get the testosterone. Just somewhere it's got to go out into the world. Um, yeah, so the girls just forever, they really want a dog. We live out on some land, and they're just, they just really want a dog. And I'm like, I'm, just, we're just, I'm never buying a dog. Like, I was that dad, just never buying a dog. I would never say it that bluntly, but in my heart, I'm like, just stop the subject. So, again, four daughters pulling on dad's heart. Dad, we just really want a puppy. I'm like, I know, but the puppy gets big and, you know, all that stuff. So, finally, her parents say, and then my last, my last excuse was, I don't want to pay for a dog. Okay, so it's a money thing, don't want to pay for a dog. Her parents step in and say, we'll buy the dog. <laughs> Needless to say, about a year ago, we bought a Blue Merle uh, Australian Shepherd. And the dog's name is Bear. And I am in love with Bear. <laughs> On a supernatural level, my commitment to this dog, if he needed to have surgery on his leg, I would give mine to pay for it at this point. <laughs> I love Bear, um, and I'm, I'm really, I'm not joking you, I, this dog, I want it to sleep at, 
if it wakes me up, I'm not upset with it. When it just the whole deal, it comes in and it's pretty rowdy. It's a smart dog, and it's just now just part of our family. We we did family pictures. Uh, I don't know, seven months ago or something, and bears in the picture. Like that's where we are with the dog. <clears throat> so I have the reason why I can safely say I wasn't a dog lover is how much I've transitioned into loving dogs. Um, the last thing I'd say on this is I, I don't know if you guys do personality assessments. I enjoy those kind of things. And for my personality, I didn't know this, but for, since I fell in love with Bear, I just, I've wanted an English Bulldog. They're like short and ugly and like very, they don't have any purpose other than just like sitting there. And for some reason, I really want that dog. And I've looked at through my, my different uh, personality assessment and that is the dog that they attach to me. <laughs> it's just expensive. So we're not gonna get an English Bulldog, but we love dogs. <clears throat> anyway, but the point of that is to go from, uh, not loving something or not understanding something to having such a massive transition. I, I did not see why anyone would love a dog, why anyone would put time and energy towards a dog. It just didn't make any sense to me. And when I felt the engagement, the experience and love of the dog, everything changed. I mean, literally what I see on the street now is different. How I talk to other people is different. I ask people about their dogs. Uh, it's just like the color on the wall is now different because I love dogs. And the same thing happened to me and to us as when we moved from um, be becoming a Christian into being a son and daughter. See, I, I was a Christian literally the day I was born. I was like birth prophesying and speaking in tongues. I'm joking, but uh, <laughs> that was the environment that I was in. Um, but I became a son at about 25 years old when God started to reveal to me that he's a father. And he's not just God, that he came to reveal himself as a father. And everything has changed for me. So I'm going to spend about 10 minutes talking about that. See, a lot of us have this perception of God the Father, where we don't necessarily say this, but we're kind of scared of him. We don't fully understand him. He's distant. We get a lot of that from our earthly father. And because he's distant, Jesus came in and yielded off his wrath. So we're kind of like cool with Jesus. Like, I'm like, I'm, I love Jesus. Like, he's kind of my boy, you know. He came and did flesh and blood, and he, ex you know, temptation to sin and all the stuff that he did. But we have this a kingdom divided that a lot of us, if we're not careful, I used to have this, is that God's kind of mad at me, and Jesus came to kind of shield off the anger of God to me. And so I'm comfortable with Jesus, but I'm really uncomfortable with the intimacy of knowing God as a father. Is anyone willing to agree with what I'm talking about. And so what, what God began to show me and has been challenging me for the past 15 years very heavily is that, that he is a father and he wants to love all of us and engage with us as a dad and as a father. See, Jesus came. I'm going to read some of these scriptures here in a second. Jesus came and he did a lot of stuff. The cross redeemed our sin, broke down social barriers, broke down governmental lines, expressed to us what a relationship with God should look like demonstrated fasting and healing and all of that stuff and it's all amazing and we all cheer him on for it but if you could wrap it up for everything that he came to do is he came to reveal a father he came to reveal a father to an orphan planet and his entire desire was to reconcile us his sons and daughters into being drafted into the kingdom see jesus is either exactly who he says he is or he's an insane crazy person you, there is no middle ground with jesus 
There's no interpretation there. It's either all or nothing. He is who he says he is or he's not. And Jesus went around talking about his father. Jesus would say this, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I can only do the will of the father. Don't call me good. There's only one that's good. And he's modeling for us the heart of the father as everything that Jesus came to do was reconciling us back to our dad. The word Abba, you know when Jesus said Abba, Father, that word is actually Dada or Daddy. So think about this. A 30-year-old man walking around with so much connection with the Father that he's calling him his Daddy. The, the scripture where Jesus tells him, he goes, hey, and, um, in the middle of John, he says, hey, I'm going back to my father's house. Prepare a room. Everyone gets a room. He, the, the childlike desire he had for his father, hey, my dad's like the safe parents on the street where like good stuff happened there and he always had food and fun stuff's happening. That, that's my father's house. Like, and everyone gets to go to my father's house. He's gushing over the love he has with his dad. Are you guys with me? Am I talking? Is this on? Okay. Can I get an amen from somebody somewhere? Okay. So I'm going to show you some of these scriptures. Is your everything? Um, so... I'm going to just kind of bullet through these really quick. So John 14, 5 through 9, Thomas said to him, Thomas was an apostle, Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. It's crazy. Jesus is standing there saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me? He's, he's, he's standing right in front of them doing exactly what the Father was having him doing at all times, modeling the Father's heart perfectly for us. He says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been around you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say, do, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. John 10, 29. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I love that. It's talking about the strength of his dad. You know when you're like 10 years old and you're like, my dad will get it. <laughs> no one can snatch you out of his hand. I and the Father are one. It's not a kingdom divided. God's not mad and Jesus is happy. Some please, amen? Maybe a little amen? Somebody? All right, so John 5, 19. Jesus gave them the answer. Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing on himself, but he can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I mean, Jesus was fully God, fully man. I can't explain it. It's just true. And he's standing there. He's depleted himself of his own will, saying, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. That's the Christian life. I'm just, he's in that much relationship with his dad that it's that much engagement back and forth. Hebrews 1 says that in times of old, God spoke through prophets, but now he speaks through his son, who was the exact representation of his being. Jesus exactly represented the father while he was here. Three different times they call him good, and he, Jesus says, I'm not good, the father's good, I'm just doing what he's telling me to do. I mean, he was that deferred. You, like, just that much knows all him is not me. So, what was Jesus doing? He was coming to reveal the Father to us. We are all invited into a relationship with a loving Father. So, Jesus went around modeling the heart of the Father. I'm going to share some quick stories of that. So, 
you know, everyone knows the famous story of the woman caught in adultery, right? If you've been churched at all, it's a very famous story. What, what was happening in the moment with a woman who was selling herself and men who were paying for that? Very bad. And in that time, you could stone her. That was legal. You could kill someone for doing that. And the religious leaders bring her in front of God to watch God judge her. This is a perfect time for God's wrath, perfect time for his judgment, perfect time to say, yeah, kill her. She's really done some bad stuff. And what, what happens in the moment? It's a father-daughter moment. I have four daughters, and my flesh naturally wants to judge them and punish them. But that's not the heart of the father. And so what does he do in the moment? He has an engagement with her brings complete, he, bling, he brings the third option in, which is grace. It's not killing, it's not judgment, it's not print, grace, because that's the heart of the Father. Jesus is modeling the heart of the Father. Yeah, and that's so good. How many need that perspective of a father, right? I think it's, um, it's daily what we get to do in the Christian life to renew our minds and make every thought what does it say? Obedient to Jesus. So that means that we make every thought align that God the Father is good. Any thought you have that is in opposition to that needs to go through the life of Jesus and come out the other side so we can see God is good. Anybody been caught in that moment when you're, you're rightly wrong and you're at the mercy Look, I love this story because it's got so many different things we can learn. We can have this father-daughter moment, father-son moment, where we get to see that God is good and for us and we get to experience grace, but we also get to learn how to interact with one another, right? And how easy it is, if you look at those three roles, we have the prostitute, we have the ones judging her, and we have Jesus. And I think we've probably all been in one of those two seats where we've judged, even justifiably, right? Justice turned to wrath, right? And we've probably been that victim, too, where we're in blame and shame. What do we do when they throw the rocks at us? Do we pick them up and throw them back? You know, but there's a third option in every situation, and that is to offer grace and mercy like Jesus. And I, I think it's so easy to justify those two positions because those come up so much in our heart, in our emotions, in our experiences. I know I've caught myself in both roles and justified it, but there's, there's always this other perspective in every situation, in every interaction, in every pain, in every thought, there's another perspective. And we can get that from the life of Jesus through these stories. And that's what is, that is what has set my heart on God through my life. Because I didn't grow up with wisdom or lessons like this. I didn't know how to live life. And when I found God and, and I read the Bible and I got to see how to live life, how to renew my mind, how to not be led by my emotions or tormented by my emotions or tormented by my thoughts... I, I just gave my life to God. It was so easy. He wooed me in with freedom like that, right? We get to be free, more free 
and more free and more free. Who wants to be more free in how they worship this morning? You know, we can go from here to here. We could even move our bodies. We can Whoa. go and get more free and more free. And it, it happens just daily in our interactions with the Holy Spirit in our mind and in our heart. And that's what I, I love about this story. It's that grace, that divine empowerment to go, you know what? I'm not going to think like this anymore because now I have this grace option too. Yes, yeah, so I just encourage you when you go through and read back Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read it through the lens of Jesus modeling the heart of the Father, you know, and everything that he did. He, he had that mentality of just of doing that. I'll kind of land the ship here so we can do a little bit of ministry time. You know, there's this outrageous story where in the Old Testament it was fine, where Peter's, Peter has a great idea. Thank God for Peter. He makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> he, he says, hey, I got an idea. I've heard that that city's sin is really bad. Let's call down fire from heaven and destroy them. Now, Peter was functioning of what he thought God was like. And Jesus says to him, you don't know what spirit you're of. That's the heart of the Father. God's really good all the time. God came to give life and life abundantly, not kill, oh, I should probably, not kill, still and destroy. And so... God is constantly, Jesus is constantly showing us his love for humanity and his love for people through the life of Jesus. I mean, you know the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus in the tree? Everyone hates the guy. He's outcast. He's really short. I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm tall. I can't talk about short people. But can you imagine the moment when Jesus says, hey, I want to get dinner at your house? Have you ever felt so outcast that you... You didn't think that God wanted to sit down with you and talk to you. And in front of everybody, you, I want to get dinner with you. And he sits at his table and reclines. That's the heart of the Father. It's the heart of the Father that go get the one. It's the heart of the Father that Jesus modeled to love the loveless and the broken. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll end with this and we'll do some prayer stuff. As a pastor and as a, as a church leader, I've been in church leadership really my whole life, I guess, at some level. You know, you get asked some crazy questions like, do you believe in pre- or post-tribulation in the book of Revelation? Uh, is healing or tongues still for today? Uh, once saved, always saved. What do you do with the Old Testament? I mean, trust me, there is not a question that. And we're educated in all those. But for me, that doesn't make my heart burn. I'm not on fire to know the answers to those subjects. I am on fire to know God as a father and for our city to know what Jesus is like. And those things will take care of themselves, but this, our city is, that's mine. I thought it was just gonna buzz. <laughs> our city is dying to know what he's like. They don't, they're not dying to know about Christianity. They're not dying to know about church. They're dying to know Jesus. And the way that he has chosen to manifest himself is through his children. And so we have decided our whole life, like, like Jesus, is that everything we do, we reconcile it into the heart of the Father. Um, cool. For the sake of time, we'll, we're going to start some prayer stuff. You want to? Yes. Thank you, Aaron. I wanted to. So I mean, we're just... Uh, going to do some prayer stuff, maybe some interactive stuff. You don't have to stand up. We won't make anyone do a jumping jack or something like that. Um, 
know, there's two things that I felt like God, that we were going to pray for today. Stop me as soon as you. If God is a father, we should be people who are dreaming really big. Most of our dreams stop because of our natural resources. Most of our dreaming stops because of pain or from lack. But God, our Father, has all resources, and he's asked us to dream big. And so what I felt like God wanted to do is restore dreams in people's hearts. That could be literally a spouse. That could be a career. It could be fixing a bike. I don't, I don't know your, your thing, but here in a second, I just wanted to pray for that, that when the Israelites came out of the desert, they were like ones who dreamed truly engage with God, dreaming is normal. It is normal for the Christian to dream. It is normal for the Christian to think outside the box so big of what is possible for God to do. I'm not saying that you're going to pray for a Porsche. <laughs> I'm saying what does God want to do in your lifetime and where have you laid it down that he didn't ask you to lay it down? You guys with me? That'd be one thing I want to pray for. The second one is this. John 15, 5, he says, he's talking about pruning. And he says, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. Literally my whole life, I don't know if any of you have been here long enough, John 15, 5 was this huge verse on the wall. Do y'all remember? Anyone remember that? And it was, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When you know him as a father, his discipline is different. His discipline is to create more fruit in your life, not to cut you down. So sometimes pruning, you know, when you prune a, a plant, it keeps it growing to its fullest. It's going to hurt a little bit to, I don't want you to do that one. Say no to that. Uh, don't do that one. But it's the, because he loves you and he wants to raise you up into who you're supposed to be, not because he's trying to oppress you. A lot of our earthly fathers are very oppressive. How many of you had a perfect earthly father? Nobody. And we transpose that on God the Father. But when you know him as a dad, a pure, good, loving dad, you invite his correction. Good. You want to do those two? Yeah. And then whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. We're, gonna, we're just going to pray into those. So you can just close your eyes. And I just have this verse I just want us to, to read. And just put on our lips together. It's Psalm 84 and it says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So with your eyes closed, if you just want to put your hand on your heart, just put these words on your lips. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And just keep saying that over yourself till you connect with it. We're made with a hole in our heart that only he can fill. We're made to be uncomfortable without him. My heart and my flesh cry out for you, God. My heart and my flesh cry out for you. Psalm 51, 17 says this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you do not despise. 
oftentimes we stop dreaming because we get a broken heart. So if that's you, I just want to pray over your heart. God, I thank you that you're the God who draws near to the brokenhearted. You're the God who chooses us, who transforms us, delivers us, heals us, sets us free. And that's something only you can do. Counselors can't do it. Husbands and wives can't do it. Friends can't do it. Scripture can't do it. Only you. So we just plead your blood over our broken hearts, over the hole in our heart that only you can fill. And we just invite you to come and woo us with wonder. Open our eyes to be able to see your creation through the eyes of wonder. Yeah, and I just bless each heart in here as they go about the day that they would just, that they would catch your wonder in things. They would just pause and see your wonder in each other. They would, we would see your wonder in the sky, in the flowers, in TV shows, in food. And we would just know that you are wooing us, that the Father is wooing us. Yeah, God, I thank you that through that wonder, we will dream again. You said when you pour out your spirit, old men will dream dreams and old women will dream dreams. So we just declare that is a promise that you will fulfill. Enjoying the pruning. Um, and that the second word Landon had about the joy in the pruning. If you feel like that's you, I want to pray over your heart and your mind. There's... There's something that comes in when we're when we're hurting, when we're when we're in that place of where we feel like we're having to surrender. Surrender only feels like surrender because we feel the cost of it, right? And so I just want to speak this over you and let it let it sink in. God does not withhold from you. Everything, everywhere you feel like He's withholding, He's withholding for you. It's for you. If you see something in your life, you're waiting for breakthrough. It's so easy to turn and hold God hostage. It's so easy to let our hearts get hard. Our mind just gets in the way. We need truth. We need a renewed mind. So I just declare over your mind, if that's where you are, God is the God who pours out abundantly. God is a God who invites you into abundance. God is not the God who withholds from you. He's writing a beautiful story in that place where you feel you're withheld from. And he's giving you gifts along the way in that process. Gifts that are for you. Timing is for you. Delays are for your good. They're for your benefit. Yeah, so I just bless you with the vision and perspective from heaven to see what he's doing in the middle of your waiting. Yeah, and I bless you with the joy, the joy of your salvation in that waiting. Who needs that? Just put your hand up. Who needs that joy? The, yeah, God, I just declare the joy of salvation. This is so free. Yeah, I just bless you with surrender right now, where you feel the striving to get your breakthrough, where you feel striving. I bless you to let go. I bless you to surrender and to feel the faithfulness of the Father wooing you and chasing you down and providing, not withholding. God, I thank you for joy and surrender. I thank you for the rest and the peace that we get in the place of surrender. Awesome. Well, as Jeremy comes up to do communion, 
I wanted to just pray over one physical thing. Does anyone have um, like uh, either a liver or kidney issue that needs to have be prayed over? This is a good thing. God would want to pray over that. Or gallbladder. Any, anything with like an organ in their body. Cool. What a healthy group of people. I have one. Um, you don't have to put your hand up, but I'm going to pray. Um, during worship, I felt this, like, electricity go through my body, and it was um, like a panic. And so I felt like there's someone who struggles with panic. Um, you could get it for anxiety, too, but there was a, it was a very heightened thing. If you've never had panic before, the way that I see it's different from anxiety is... Um, well, it's just very, very heightened anxiety because when it happens, you spiral. You can't, like, stop it. So I just want to pray for you if that's you. Um, okay, that's awesome. Yeah, just raise your hand if that's you. If you feel that, I just want to pray over you. Yeah, yeah. Did you know we're all human? The person next to you is maybe more messed up than you. They, they are, it's, for sure. We, we are all broken. We all have a hole in our heart. We all smell really bad. It's true. So it just lay your hands. I'm going to have, let's, let's all lay our hands on the people next to us because everybody has some sort of mental struggle, emotional struggle. God, you are the God of freedom. You are the God who sets the captive free and you set the prisoners free. So I just declare over every mind and heart in here the freedom that comes through the name of Jesus. So yeah, just speak Jesus over the person next to you. Just speak Jesus, 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 Jesus. The name above all names, Jesus. The name above all names. It's the blood of Jesus that covers us and sets us free. It's the power of the blood of Jesus, the resurrection power of God that turns death to life. The God who pours his light out and it only gets brighter and brighter. So I declare that over you, that panic will not increase. The lightness of the Lord will increase. And when you feel that come on, all you have to do is say the name of Jesus. So we just speak that over you. God, I ask for a breakthrough right now in their heart and their mind, a letting go. Yeah, and I just declare over you, those who needed that prayer, that you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's why you're sensitive to the darkness, but it will not triumph over you. And so I just bless you with um, space to use your prophetic gifting. And I, I bless the people around you to come around and see you and to call you up and encourage you and to ask for you to speak into their lives. So I just bless you with that place to flow out of your gifting in Jesus. Amen.